Hey, Tim. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. Great to see you. Um, so I think it'll be good for the first episode to kind of talk about libertarianism generally and a bit about the Libertarian Party. I see you have sure. the shirt on, so that's great. Um, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm recently, you know, switched to a libertarian philosophy and libertarian view, but I'd love to hear kind of your story and how you, what you think of the principles and how you came to, you know, believe in them. Sure. Well, I, I came to believe in them, I guess, uh, through the skeptics movement. And so I went through a period, you know, I, I grew up in a very evangelical kind of fundamentalist Christian household where, you know, we literally believed the Bible was literal truth, right? That uh, the earth was only maybe 10,000 years old, that, uh, you know, the story of Noah's Ark, all these things were literal truths. And I actually went to Bible college to learn more because I had a lot of questions like, what about dinosaurs? Like, um, <laughs> you know, there were seeming contradictions that I couldn't wrap my head around, um, you know, all sorts of things. Right. I, I had a lot of questions. I was had an insatiable appetite for the truth. I wanted to get to the truth. I figured going to Bible college, learn studying theology, learning the original languages of, of Scripture would help clarify things. But they just muddied the waters for me. They made, you know, they they made me start thinking that maybe God was created by men rather than the other way around or something like that. And yeah. uh, it, it was years later where I finally uh, ha had the courage to really examine where my beliefs came from, and I realized that my beliefs did not come from me thinking about the world, reasoning things out through first principles, um, and and reason and evidence really they they came to me because i of the family i grew up in the culture i grew up in i realized that had i grown up in another part of the world um i would believe completely different things i, I would have a completely different worldview and so it was very unsettling to realize that my worldview had nothing to do with myself and yeah. everything to do with the culture around me it was a it was a form of programming that was put into my brain and and that these beliefs had very real consequences. I acted on these beliefs, right? So, you know, for example, I remember being a camp counselor and I was worried that these kids were going to go to hell if I didn't save their souls, <laughs> if they didn't pray, pray the sinner's prayer, if they didn't re repent and all these kinds of things. Yeah. And and I mean, I, I I'm ashamed to say I scared kids into uh, becoming Christians because, um, yeah because of my beliefs. Right. And yeah. I, I think, I think that what I did in scaring them that way was child abuse. Now it came from a good place. I didn't want these kids to suffer eternally. And yeah. so, so the thing I realized, and it was very, very troubling for me, I went through a year of, of kind of depression because I realized how, how, um, the, the deep ramifications that your beliefs have in how you behave and how you act and how you show up in the world. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to have any more beliefs that, that couldn't be supported by evidence that there was no good reasons to, to believe because yeah. I was worried about my action. Right. And so that led me to, to read uh, thinkers like Ayn Rand, who was uh, an atheist um, and that, that opened up a, a rabbit hole and introduced me to libertarian thought. And I realized that, that I had beliefs about government and about how society ought to be organized that were probably harmful, that were probably dangerous. And so, so to me, 
libertarianism is is not so much um, a positive belief system necessarily as it is kind of an attitudinal disposition of skepticism towards extraordinary claims, right? And so the extraordinary claims that I'm skeptical about and that libertarians are skeptical about are that government has the right to do a lot of the things that we just assume, that most people assume that it has the right to do. And, and, and the primary thing that it does is use force. It uses, um, uses guns and threats of violence to get its way. I mean, laws are laws because they're mandatory. And what makes them mandatory is the coercion that backs them. If you, you, you can just go out and test this out, uh, viewing <laughs> audience, you could just break any law you, you want, right. And continue to break it. And when the enforcers come, just say, no, I'm going to continue to do it. Right. Eventually guns will be drawn. And if you defend yourself from those guns, um, well, you're going to be probably shot and killed, right? Because enforcement is mandatory. And if you don't comply, you die. Um, and so government is forced. It, it has a monopoly on violence. Uh, we, we give it that mo monopoly and that mandate. And then, you know, we ask it to do all sorts of things with its violence, right? While we, we all care about the poor. And so we ask the government to look after the poor using its guns, right? By taking money from some people and giving it to others. Uh, we care about uh, the climate. We care about, uh, you know, just go down the list of things that we all care about. We, we care about, uh, yeah, and so, uh, and so the, these beliefs that we have about, government have very real world consequences, right? Uh, the, uh, so libertarianism to me is all about having uh, skepticism, I guess, towards the claim that, that government has the moral right to use force to do all the things it does. And so we start there and then we go to, well, what, when can you use force? What, what is the right uh, obviously, you can use force to defend yourself, right? If someone's trying to hurt you, you can defend yourself. You can use force. If someone is trying to kill you, you can use force. If someone's trying to rape you, if someone's maybe trying to steal your stuff, you can use force to stop them. But what you can't do is use force to um, take stuff from people. You can't use force to hurt people. You can't use force, to, you know. So so we d differentiate between uh protective force and aggressive force or initiatory force. And we say that you, you are perfectly within your right to protect yourself. We all have that right. In fact, every, every living creature has to defend itself from predators and from people, from, from other creatures that, that would try to hurt it or uh, harm it. And, and so um, we have the right to use force. And, and since government in theory gets its right to do things delegated from us, then government shouldn't be able to do any more than you or I are able to do uh, because we can't delegate to government a right that we don't have. And so, you know, for example, uh, you'll, you might hear libertarians say taxation is theft. Well, that's because um, taking, we, we consider taking without consent to be theft right i can't go and tax you david you can't tax yeah. me we call that stealing we call that theft you're yeah. taking without consent and so you know people who say that that government has the right to tax people have all their work ahead of them to uh demonstrate to me a skeptic uh where government gets this moral right
Um, and, and so we go down the line, right? And and so not initiating force uh, is important, right? So so only using force ever protectively is important. So government's proper role then is to protect the individual. It's to protect us from force. And where it crosses the line into being illegitimate is when it starts initiating force, when it starts imposing its will on us and enters our private domain, uh, that sort of thing, right? And so everything can be thought of from that. Um, what do you and, say to people who, you know, because in a lot of the cases, the force is quite like a few layers removed, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a good example is, you know, they, they use force to ensure you wear your seatbelt when you're driving your car. They do sure. fundamentally down the line, but to most people, they don't make that direct connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the, the violence is not readily apparent, right? And, and so it's very clear if someone comes up to you and draws a gun, um, that's armed extortion, right? That's armed robbery. And if they're trying to rob your wallet or something like that. Well, um, we also consider it armed robbery, though, if uh, a robber goes up to a bank teller and hands them a note. You don't see the gun. You assume it's there. <laughs> and you have a choice to make as a bank teller. Well, we still consider that armed robbery, even though there's a step removed, even though we don't see the violence, even though we don't see the immediate threat. We know that it's there, right? And that a gun will be drawn. And so, yes, government adds a few of those layers. There's like a note to a note or, you know, to another note. First, you note get a ticket, note. hey, don't do this again and, and give right. us some money now and, and like that kind of stuff. There, so even though... That makes sense. I've not heard that analogy before with uh, like, you know, bank robbery. Yeah. And so so just because the the force is further down the line doesn't mean that it's ultimately not backed by force. Right. If you disobey, you're going to get a series of warnings, um, you know, so that's the only, the only difference between the armed. Well, there's a few differences. One of the differences between an, a regular armed robber and the tax man is that um, it's going to take longer for that gun to be drawn. He's going to give you more chances to comply than mm -hmm. the armed robber might. Uh, one of the other differences, though, is that at least the, the, the robber doesn't think he has some moral right to rob you, and yeah. everyone doesn't think he has the moral right to rob you. So in that sense, the armed robber is a little bit more honest, I guess, right? And that's the thing about the system is that it allows everyone to deny moral culpability. Like, um, you know, pick, pick any policy that someone advocates for. I think the minimum wage ought to be $30 an hour, $15 an hour, right? What that person is, is saying, that they're, what they're not saying is, I, I think I should start a business and pay people $15 an hour because that's a fair wage. What they're saying is, I want other people with guns to force a business that I have nothing to do with, that I don't own, that I haven't put any sweat equity into. Uh, to, I want them to force that business to pay their employees $15 an hour, right? And so they get all the benefit of being able to virtue signal that I, I want people to be paid, but they have zero responsibility to actually pay them, right? And so th mm. this removes people from any kind of personal responsibility that they have um, to enact their values in a sense. Right. And so, so, you know, it's not just that there's coercion, there's a removal of personal responsibility and personal accountability on people. And everyone along the line has that ability to remove themselves from accountability. Like the enforcers are, can just say, well, I'm just doing my job. This is what I was hired to do. Right. I didn't make the rules. 
I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, doing my job. And the rule makers are like, well, you know, this is what the people want. This is why they elected me. And the people are like, well, I, I didn't, you know, vote for that, uh, you know, or I'm not doing it. That's government. And, and yeah. so ev- everyone gets, but it, you know, if we bring it back to concrete terms, um, would you go to that business, David, and point a gun at the person and say, listen, you're going to start paying your employees $15 an hour, or I'm going to come back here and I'm going to bust some kneecaps, or I'm going to lock you in a cage, or I'm going to shut you down, and you're not going to have a choice. Well, no one would, in their right mind, I would hope, would do that. But yet, that's what they're exactly what they're asking someone else to do on their behalf. And I, yeah. I think it would be at least more honest if they, they would say that I'm willing to do that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, of course, people don't think of government in those terms. But, but there's real force uh, being used here. One thing that, uh, you know, I thought of recently, you know, is the idea of, you know, back in the day when there was kings and, and how did kings and their, their, their friends get so rich? It was through tax. They would force sure. people to pay them. And that's how there was wealth inequality back then to such an extent. And, but now we think that that same principle of some people taking a bunch of money from other people would now create wealth equality somehow. Um, right. And it's like historically for for many, many centuries, the rich people got rich by taking it from the poor by force. And and to say that now, you know, capitalism was is somehow equivalent. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, It's much more like the people who just take money. They're the ones who are are elevating wealth and and putting things in force. No, absolutely. you know, it, it, I just thought of the story of Robin Hood, right, which um, the leftists often use as an example of someone who's trying to even the playing field and, and create more equality between the people and the government. Right. Well, what, what he's doing is actually uh, repatriating the money the government stole from the people back to them. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, he's decreasing the theft. So, you know, so if they were being honest, what they would say is, listen, everyone needs to get taxed by. Uh, Sheriff John or whatever his name is, the Sheriff of Nottingham, and the sheriff will be in the best position to evenly distribute things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and in those days, right, what gave the, the king the right to tax people or to give them? Well, it was the divine right. God gave him that right, gave him that throne, gave him that crown. And so he it was a direct line from God. That is he had the right, he had the moral authority granted to him by the divine creator of the universe to take your money. And, and, and that's basically what you see now with the government, right? It's this, this collective good, like there, there's this, this uh, universal good that the gov that the, especially the left-wing government, you know, claims that they have the, they know how to serve humanity and, and it's their, it's their right and their will and their power to, to, take from others because they know how to help everyone the best which and i'm i'm interested to know how that like it's become so evident that the left wing has equated morality with government right um sure yeah no i i mean well so so in the past it was the divine right of kings right it came directly from god but the the modern day equivalent to that is a social contract right so Mm -hmm. This idea that we somehow implicitly, uh, I guess, be, by being, <laughs> you know, birthed out of our mother's birth canals in this particular geographical region, uh, implicitly give government some 
right or to to do extra things that you and I can't do. Um, that it has this power via this social contract. Um, but you know the, the the reason to go back to your question about why why it is that that you know people primarily on the left, but I, I don't give the right a pass here either. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that virtue signal there. Yeah. The the thing again about it is that it, it lets you take all the credit without having any skin in the game, right? So again, going back to the minimum wage idea, I can I can get all the psychological benefits of saying that I'm for the people, I'm for the worker, I'm for labor by saying we need a minimum wage of $15 an hour, but I don't have to do anything about it. I don't have to start a business and pay anyone anything to get that credit. I don't have to go to a business and point a gun at them and shake them down and and demand that they stop being so evil and start paying their employees more. Uh, I don't have to do any of that. There's there's a department for that. It's called government. I, I can let them... Uh, do it and I can get the credit for being a fighter for the people right or or for you know trying to do something for them when I actually haven't done anything other than uh, bloviate some stupid opinion yeah and and I appreciate that and so my experience like how I came to libertarianism was also actually through mental health struggles and and actually like I'm I've always been a very first principles person but I'd never actually thought about my opinion of government or like I knew I cared about people. So obviously I wanted government to help. I'd never actually thought about that. Um, but really when I started to learn the principles of, you know, healthy psychology and, and spirituality, they almost directly mirrored the values of libertarianism. Right. Um, and, and so it's really about like you are responsible for yourself and you have to really question the assumptions and start thinking through why you think certain ways, why you react certain ways to some thoughts. And then it really just like, I don't think anyone who rationally takes the time to be introspective and and aware of the world can come to other conclusions if they're actually really honest with themselves. Um, Right. Because on any micro level, you 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 believe that, right? Like you you, if you're raising a family of four kids, it's not okay for one of them to take from the other three because they think they can buy the best presents for everyone or something like that, right? And and but it seems that at some level of community, you know, maybe it's a hundred, maybe it's a thousand, maybe it's a hundred thousand, that people then disregard the same logic that they would apply in their immediate life. No, absolutely. I'm so glad you 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 talked about. Um... What you know, what you're talking there about is personal responsibility, right? And and you know, for the first few years that I I was a kind of a libertarian um, and bought into the philosophy, I probably didn't apply it in my own personal life. And, and so, to me, the philosophy of liberty is something that you can apply in your personal life, right? For example, it changed the way I parented. So, if I don't believe in initiating force, if I don't think it's morally right for me to um, impose my will on other people with physical force with physical violence then i have to rethink maybe how i'm showing up as a parent you know i grew up in a household where where spanking was the final arbiter of things and that's kind of how i started raising my kids until i came into this philosophy and then i started thinking well maybe i should be practicing what i'm preaching is there another way to solve these problems i'm seeing in the family and seeing with my kids behavior rather than spanking and and it took me a while to figure out how to parent without threats of violence. 
but I did, and things got a lot better. The behavior mm-hmm. that I was worried about started to, to solve itself, right? Um, and it, it also came in, in terms of character development and the idea of, of self-ownership, right? This is the underlying principle of libertarian, that you own yourself, that you are the owner, you have full responsibility, accountability, both for the good things you do and the bad things you do. You know, I get to keep the money I earn, but I also have to fix the harm I do in society, right? That it's that radical self-ownership. And, and, and yes, you can apply this all the way down the line. In fact, um, you know, th- there's a great book we can get into another time called uh, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg that really changed my life because it, it's almost a libertarian philosophy in the way to communicate with people. And it dramatically enhanced... Um, my ability to communicate with my loved ones, people at work, that uh, that gets outside of the power paradigm where you're constantly waiting for someone else to finish talking so that you can tell them why they're wrong, um, and and it gets towards the knees, and and ultimately it comes down to I own my feelings. You didn't make me mad. You didn't make me sad. You didn't, uh, uh, you know, you might have said something that triggered me, but all those emotions I'm feeling and my state of mind is completely mine to own. And I have to own that. I have to be responsible for that. I can't demand that you change the way you're behaving and the way you're showing up in this conversation to, to manage my feelings. I need to figure out how to manage my feelings and off and, let you into my world about what I'm feeling. Maybe you can help me out if you want. That would be great for our relationship. Um, it would really strengthen things and I'll do the same for you, but I can't put that onus on you. And that really changed my way of thinking about uh, relationships and self-ownership as well. It all and, lines up. And those are exactly the principles of healthy psychology, right? Like, you know, I've, I've had some pretty intense mental health issues and I, and in therapy, that is what they talk about right like and basically everyone i've met through you know mental health you know programs i've done i say to them like you're at least on the right track because so many people most people in society don't view the world that way and they right. everything is everyone else's fault but any reaction you have any it is your responsibility you can control the way you react to the world around you and that's even what buddhism teaches as well right it's it's you are completely in control of yourself and nothing else and, and, you know, from I really do think libertarianism is the and I mean, I, I believe I, I'm a I'm bought into objectivism as well. Um, and I do think that is the political extension of these base philosophical values that lead to a healthy life in your life. Um, and I think it's so important for because I know so many people who are spiritual and, and, and claim they want to you know do this, you know, healthy psychology, be their best self. But then they don't see how the 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 government they support because a lot of them are you know left wing or they're definitely not libertarian and they don't see how that's a complete disconnect they don't make those connections yeah no absolutely i i i didn't expect us to go down the mental health path but i (laughs) i appreciate you bringing it up and david i think we should do uh an episode specifically on mental health because i i have a lot of stuff to say about that uh dealing with ptsd as a firefighter paramedic and and that sort of thing. And, and I think there's a lot that, um, that lines up with libertarian philosophy. But before, before we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to touch on uh, another aspect of libertarian philosophy. We just kind of were talking about self-ownership and the importance mm-hmm. of self-ownership. Um, this is the other, other thing that uh, I think libertarian teaches as well. It's not just the, the non-initiation of force. It's not just you shouldn't use coercion to control other people. 
Uh, it's also what constitutes yours versus mine, right? Uh, because that's really important. So, for example, socialists will say rent is theft, right? And so, uh, you know, if, if we're saying that we can use violence to stop things like theft or assault or different things, it's very important to understand um, what's, <laughs> what's a crime and what's not. And the thing that separates that is... Uh, essentially property rights, right? And so mm -hmm. um, so the, the last thing I'll say about libertarianism is we, we try to figure out who gets resources in the world. Do we all own everything? Uh, do we all own nothing? Um, well, we think that, you know, w we basically subscribe to John Locke's view of property that, uh, you know, whatever you mix your labor with in the world is by extension yours, right? If it's an unowned property or an unowned resource, and you go out and appropriate it, that becomes yours. No one else can say that that it's theirs. They can't lay a claim to it. And so if I go into the woods, it's it's wilderness and no one owns it. And I chop down a tree and I build a log cabin and, and maybe homestead a little bit of land. Um, who else can say that they own that? Who has an ownership claim over that? Well, no one else does because I did the work and, and we all need uh, geographical space to protect us. We need shelter. We need food. We need clothing. In other words, we need to go out into the external world and interact with nature and appropriate things in nature and bring them into ourselves in the way of food and build them around ourselves in the way of shelter and, and clothes. And so we all biological organisms, including humans, need to interact with the world and get these things. And so uh, we say that if you interact with nature in that way and you then it becomes yours and then the way you trade pro that you can also acquire property through trade you know once i'm the legitimate owner of something i can trade it for something else and those mm -hmm. things become mine and so you know there's kind of a robust theory of property rights that undergirds it and it all derives again from first principles or from the fact that you own yourself that you need to do certain things in the world um in order to survive and that as long as the things that you're doing in the world don't interfere and prevent someone else uh, or um, impose on someone else or take from someone else, then uh, what you're doing is not immoral, that it's justifiable and, and that no one should interfere with it and use force against you. Yeah, and I think that's a great note to end it on. Like that is kind of the core thing. Property rights are very important. You own yourself and it extends very naturally and rationally from there. Exactly, yeah.